Hello and welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast, where we are deep diving into the depths of dry skin conditions over an immersive six-week special series. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ryan DeCruz. He's a dermatologist of Southern Dermatology located in Melbourne, Victoria. And Dr. DeCruz is helping us start the six-week series by sharing the foundations of dry skin conditions, the what, why, and how. So this episode is also going to debunk some common myths about dry skin conditions and provide a much deeper understanding of what actually occurs within the skin and what a dermatologist is looking at when they're determining uh, a dry skin condition. I started by asking Dr. DeCruz what he thought was the biggest misconception about dry skin conditions. This six-part special series podcast was made possible by our fabulous partners, Dermotherapy. And this special series really is deep diving into dry skin conditions. It's also known as cirrhosis. You will be learning about the cause, the therapies, and the stories behind dry skin conditions. Approximately 50% of people over the age of 40 experience dry skin, and it's likely that most people will experience dry skin somewhere on their body at some point in their lives. So this series is relevant to everyone. Dermal therapy aligns with the Derm Health Co values because their products are accessible, which is super important. They can be found at most pharmacies and grocers, plus online. They're also made using evidence-based ingredients. They have clinical studies to back this up and they're dermatologist recommended. So you know that it works. Another big tick is that Dermotherapy is Australian made and owned. Go Aussie. Dermotherapy's range of products for very dry skin are not only hydrating, they also have unique keratolytic properties. And this helps with dead skin deposition and removal. So throughout the series, you'll be hearing more about the results and clinical studies using the Dermotherapy products. And we are so excited to bring this series to you because it's the first of its kind. We've never seen this in podcast land where there's a special series dedicated to one specific skin condition. It is different to our older traditional podcast where it's one different episode each week. And we thought um, we know that our community loves to get really deep and dirty into a particular topic. And what better way than to create an entire six part series on this particular topic, which means that it's easy to share. It's easy to learn and immerse and you can come back for later reference or share it with friends, family members, patients, clients, etc. So I'm so looking forward to bringing this to you. I think you're going to love it. Um, We would love to hear your feedback on how you find this special series as well. So make sure that you tag us if you're listening at dermhealth.co and also ensure that you're tagging out wonderful partners at Dermotherapy as well. Okay, let's get right in. Dr. DeCruz, what do you think is the biggest misconception about dry skin conditions? I think, Marnie, it's not necessarily the skin condition itself, but the misconception that you need to spend a lot of money to help address skin conditions like dry skin. That's something I see very regularly, people pouring in hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over months to into products to help them. And I think that that's where I, I really like to educate patients and the public that it's just not necessary. 
I love that. There's lots of brands with huge marketing budgets that would like us to believe otherwise, but I like that you get straight to the point by debunking some of those myths. It is an extremely common skin condition, dry skin. So are you able to provide some context as far as like how frequently do you see this in your clinic? How commonly are people wanting to see you specifically for dry skin or are they coming to see you for something else? And then you're pointing out this may be because you've got this such and such dry skin condition. So I think it's both. I see, I would estimate between 80 to 90% of my patients here in Melbourne have some degree of dry skin. And in some cases, it is the dry skin that is directly causing their skin condition. And in other cases, it's what we call an incidental finding. So for example, if I'm doing a, a skin examination for skin cancers, and then I'm looking all over them, a 360 degree examination, I notice how dry their skin is. And when I actually probe and ask them, do they get symptoms like itching or flaking or others? They say, yes, absolutely. So it's incredibly common and it's definitely more common in the more Southern states. So Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, as we go more North where it's more humid, it's often less of an issue, but in Melbourne, it's incredibly common. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I was, when you said Melbourne keyword, I was going to ask, do you have, you know, associates that working in the Northern States and they just don't see this presentation as commonly? That's right. Yeah. It's, it, when there's more humidity in the air, we naturally tend to actually retain moisture more. And so what's really common is say patients who come from say Southeast Asia or Queensland, and then they come down to a Southern state like Melbourne, Victoria, and then suddenly their skin really changes. And, you know, that really speaks to the environmental influence on dry skin as well. Mm, and it can happen quite quickly too, can't it? Like, Oh, absolutely. I've had a patient who, who told me the other day that within 24 hours of coming back to Melbourne, I think she was based in Hong Kong originally, she said within 24 hours, she noticed that her skin was not only much drier, but also her symptoms of eczema or dermatitis were flaring. And that was within mm. one day. Wow. So no wonder some people feel the need to rush out and just buy all of the products. Oh, yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, the marketing budgets of some of these lines are, are huge. And so they kind of, I guess, play on people's psychology and pay on people's desperation to go and help address their skin. And then, you know, they end up just yeah, wasting a whole lot of money on ingredients and products that you really are paying for the influencer that sort of sponsors that product or the marketing behind it and the advertising. Mm. And this six part series is really going to go deeper into that to prevent people to, you know, spending too much of their hard earned moolah. What are some of the different presentations of dry skin? Obviously, like one thing that comes to mind for someone that thinks of dry skin would be flakiness, but there's lots of other things that happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the most common physical signs and symptoms of dry skin would be flakiness, would be dullness and redness, irritation and itch. So when you're seeing signs of redness, irritation or itch, you're actually developing inflammatory process or inflammation. In a broad sense, we refer to this as dermatitis or eczema, but there are many forms of inflammation. So some people's dry skin will then present as psoriasis, which is also genetically determined. In some cases, it's actually simply that their acne, they may actually have pre-existing acne, but because they have a tendency towards an impaired skin barrier or dry skin, that actually compounds their acne. And so products that they're using can be even more drying and irritating or their makeup doesn't sit quite as well. So an impaired skin barrier, which I guess is the foundation of dry skin, influences or pervades many different disease states. It's not just having you know, dry skin and eczema. 
And so people will present and they don't necessarily know that their skin's dehydrated or dry, but they're actually presenting with a disease that they are, you know, have been struggling with for a long time. But I'm actually going, okay, well, now we need to not only treat your condition, but we need to rehydrate your skin because it's really dehydrated. And good studies have shown that dehydrated skin is much more inflamed than well-hydrated skin. So dry skin isn't always categorised by lots of flaking that is clinically visible? Not always. So some people will get the classic flaking. Other people, their skin just looks, well, to my eyes, I refer to it like a parched earth. If you're, mm. if you're going to the Northern Territory and walking around, say, Alice Springs, and you see the earth just cracked because they've got no moisture or humidity, humidity in the air and no moisture in the ground, you see sort of separation of the skin cells. So there just might be a roughness, but not necessarily flaking per se, or just this dullness to the eye, you know, because there isn't the reflection uh, back to our eyes or from having the skin really rehydrated. So yeah, it doesn't always present with flaking. Mm. So you've explained some of those things we see clinically. I'd like to go into them a little bit more and kind of talk about why they're happening. So like itching of the skin, why does that happen when our skin's dry? Great question. So itch is essentially a nerve signal, right? We sense the sense of itch in our brains if we feel uncomfortable. So the nerve fibers that live in the skin, and there are quite a few of these, can be activated by chemicals that are released in the skin when it's dehydrated. So the state of dehydration in the skin then creates an inflammatory process. So our immune system sort of recognizes that the skin is not normal. It recognizes that it's dehydrated. It then releases signals and to these nerve fibers that then trigger this response in our brain. And there's, again, been really good studies to show that the inflammatory mediators in dehydrated skin are elevated. And it's these inflammatory mediators or little chemical messengers that trigger the symptom of itch. Mm, that's really interesting. And do we always see these inflammatory mediators when we have dry or dehydrated skin? Yeah, so we pretty much do. They're not always, I guess, clinically obvious. So it's not like when you look at the skin, you're going to always see redness or always see inflammation. We call this subclinical inflammation, where the, the skin is inflamed, but you can't see it. And it's simply a, a feature of dry skin. And so clinically, we kind of know what that looks like. What is actually happening within the skin? What are our skin cells doing? Why, like, why is it occurring? There's obviously lots of different reasons, but like from yeah. a dermatologist perspective. So it comes down to this concept of our skin barrier. And I, I liken a skin barrier to the brick walls of a house. If you think of a brick wall, it's made up of two main components. One is the bricks, which are akin to our skin cells. It's also made up of a cement that holds those bricks together. And the cement bathes the bricks just like it bathes our skin cells. Now, this cement in people with predisposition to dry skin or in those with an inherited deficiency of a certain protein or ceramides, for example, the, the cement doesn't work so well. So the cement disintegrates, leaving these little gaps in between our skin cells. So if you can imagine, if you had gaps in between the brick walls of your house, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Number one, you're going to lose heat. You're going to lose energy through those gaps. So your house will be colder. Number two is through those gaps, you're going to get ingress of, of potential irritants or aggravants. So from a skin cells point of view or the skin surface point of view, you're going to get soaps and detergents through those gaps. You'll get clothing fibers, dust particles, bacteria, viruses, yeasts, and fungi. And so all of these things will come in that are not meant to live in the skin. And through those gaps, as humans, we're going to lose more water or lose moisture. 
So we call this process transepidermal water loss. And transepidermal water loss means that you're constantly evaporating moisture from your skin because your skin barrier isn't intact. And as we've already discussed, this just heightens or aggravates that pre-existing inflammatory state. So there are so many causative effects of this, not just the visual appearance or being itchy, but all those other elements that can potentially lead to some significant risks for some individuals. For sure. So, for example, those people who are, have an impaired skin barrier and are a bit itchy already, say an elderly patient or patients with pre-existing eczema, because of these gaps in the skin, their, and their desire to scratch because they're itchy, they're going to then introduce bacteria that could be harmful. So we see bacterial infections being really common. Folliculitis, for example, or cellulitis, these are all infections of the skin that result from uh, ultimately an impaired skin barrier. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's the flow on effects. So it's not just the dry skin or the way that it looks or the way that it feels, but it's the risks of having excessively dry skin that's very significant. So coming back to, say, that patient that you may be seeing that you've identified a skin cancer and then you're looking at the rest of their body and you see dry skin, is this a really common conversation that you have to have that is you need to be looking after your skin? It is a little bit dry now, but this could lead to ABC. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important to be holistic in, in one's care. So, for example, if I am cutting out a melanoma or diagnosing another skin cancer, that takes priority for that moment. But then as part of the consultation, certainly their follow-up consultation, I generally give them samples of products that I think that they should be using to help maintain their skin, their skin in, with, in good integrity. I guess it's akin to, say, a cardiologist or a heart specialist who's there to look after your heart. You might have had a heart attack or, you know, have an arrhythmia. But, you know, they can't ignore the fact that a patient might be smoking or have you know, type 2 diabetes, it's all part and parcel of good heart health. So in the same way, a skin exam and skin treatment has to look at the person as a whole. And so absolutely, I talk about the need for really good soap-free cleansers, good quality moisturizers, and, and addressing the skin inflammatory diseases if they have one. Yeah, really important. So you can look at the skin, but there are different tools and methods that we can measure skin hydration or identify dry skin. Are you able to briefly explain some of the tools that you use and some other tools that are out there that can be used for dry skin specifically? Yeah. So as you mentioned, the human eye is probably the most useful and simplest tool that we have because we get pretty trained at identifying the visible features of dry skin. But certainly when we put out dermatoscopes, which are like little magnifying glasses with a polarized light, it really helps accentuate the scaling and the separation of the skin cells under the dermatoscope. So that's quite helpful. In a research setting, they've got specialized tools and testing kits to actually identify and, and quantify the amount of water that's being lost so from the skin. So a lot of the studies that are done to assess the integrity and the quality of a moisturizer use tools to assess transepidermal water loss. It's not something that we use clinically day to day, but these are the sort of tools that exist. Ultimately, the most useful one is the eye and the conversation and speak to patients and understanding what they're feeling. This podcast series is brought to you by Derm Health Co. in partnership with Dermal Therapy. Dermal Therapy Lip Balm Original is Australia's number one lip balm, with one of their lip balms being sold every 30 seconds in Australia. Absolutely incredible. Okay, let's launch back into the podcast. 
You mentioned before about age and I just want to briefly talk about the age factor and dry skin and why it's more prevalent in the ageing community. Sure. So it's, they've done, again, really good studies to prove that as we age, our skin barrier function declines, our measurable ceramides and other sterols within our skin that hold it together decline so that we just don't produce it as we did when we were younger. We also lose muscle mass and we also do have a degree of fat loss. Now, both of those things help maintain our core body temperature. And as we get older and we start to decondition naturally, we find that thermoregulation isn't quite as good. So what we notice is that elderly patients will often feel colder. And what do you do when you're colder? You'll turn up your heater, you'll put more layers on, you'll do all the things to help maintain that body temperature. But of course, all of those artificial thermoregulatory techniques only serve to dry our skin out even more. So it's this kind of vicious cycle of the older we get, the colder we feel, the colder we feel, the drier we get. So it just goes round and round. So yeah. Round and round. Common and based on physiology. Yeah, hotter showers and, you know, I can just imagine that the blankets over the knees, the heater right up to your shins, sitting there all day. And yeah, it's this vicious cycle. I mean, it happens for even, you know, younger people as well, as you mentioned, some different skin conditions. But you can see with that aging population, how it is this vicious cycle and it just gets drier and drier and drier and can lead to some pretty serious skin conditions later on. What about, you may or may not use this clinically, but grading scales for dry skin? Like, are there grading scales? What are they? What are the different levels? Are you able to explain them? Yeah, look, on a clinical basis day-to-day in practice, I don't personally use any of these grading scales. But certainly there are certain conditions that are actually genetically mediated deficits of various proteins or junctions that hold our skin cells together. And we call these group of conditions the ichthyoses. Ichthyosis actually comes from the Greek word for fish, which is ichthus. And an ichthus means because a fish has these scales on their skin, they look like sort of these conditions almost look like fish skin. So we actually have certain conditions that are ichthyotic or have these scales. And certainly when we refer to these more ichthyoses, we have certain types of scale that we can use sort of, I guess, a grading system for. So if we take someone, for example, with atopic eczema or, you know, the common form of eczema or dermatitis, there are those who have sort of mild eczema and then those who have ichthyosis vulgaris, which is where they have the really classic thick scales. They have, you know, palms that have what we call that are hyperlinear or you see lots of skin markings on their palms. They've got all of these classic features. So I guess the the spectrum that we use is from a normal individual right through to an ichthyosis. And it is still more a clinical, I guess, scale rather than a numerical one. But it's one that we as clinicians will see from time to time. It doesn't really change what we do. Uh, The principles of management are exactly the same. So when talking about these principles of management, kind of come to mind when you're talking about dry skin, this vicious cycle that can happen, especially with the aging population and like the chicken and the egg kind of situation, adding things to the skin, is that going to help reduce some of these keratotic, you know, buildup of dry skin or do you have to actually remove it and then start with some of these treatments? Yeah, excellent. Really, actually, you hit the nail on the head in that some of the ichthyoses, for example, require us to add in ingredients such as alpha hydroxy acids or beta hydroxy acids to help exfoliate the thick dead skin cells. 
But then of course we still need to rehydrate. So we want to have the rehydrating ingredients within the products. Whereas there are other types of dry skin conditions where our primary goal is just to rehydrate. So we're not actually adding in too much other ingredients other than using really well tried and tested and research driven ingredients to help rehydrate the skin and to soothe it. Mm, understood. And I can imagine this would depend on how much inflammation is being presented within the skin as well, correct? That's right. I think some of the principles here are that we know that the ingredients that have been proven to help dry skin in this most basic form are those that, that contain, say, ceramides, which have got a lot of research behind them, hyaluronic acid, which when it's in the right formulation, and that's very important, can be helpful. Natural anti-inflammatories such as niacinamide or vitamin B3, it can be helpful for those slightly more inflamed conditions. But that's sort of a natural one. And colloidal oatmeal, which has all been shown in good research to be assisting in dry skin. I don't tend to then go and choose moisturizers that purport to have all of these sort of miraculous other ingredients or botanically driven ingredients that actually, in my opinion, can often instigate or, or aggravate skin diseases. So I think there's often a tendency in the population to want to go for so-called organic or natural products. And, you know, they'll say that, oh, well, this has got an extract from plant A, B, and C, and, you know, this kind of root element from, you know, a Himalayan root that can only be, you know, sourced by certain people. And, you know, the, all of these additives to moisturizers that are plant-based that unfortunately can actually trigger skin disease and trigger inflammation, irritation, or allergy. So I keep it quite simple in terms of what I recommend, because I think simple is best and simple is often the most cost-effective as well. Yeah, absolutely. More is not always better in the case of many things when we're talking about skin. As I mentioned earlier, in later episodes of this series, we'll be looking a lot more closely at the different conditions that cause dry skin as well as treatment options. But from your perspective clinically and your practice, what are some of these risks of dry skin, the importance of treatment? If you've got any kind of case studies that come to mind, that would be really helpful as well. Maybe a, an example of someone that perhaps didn't follow the advice that was given and their condition deteriorated and then something that is a little bit more positive on note yeah so i think the most common conditions that we see that arise from dry skin or are aggravated by dry skin would include eczema or dermatitis and psoriasis i think that they are the most common ones but as already discussed even in my acne patients or rosacea patients the skin barrier has to be addressed in order to achieve the best results and the risk of having an impaired skin barrier is that you leave your immune system and your skin vulnerable to allergens and pathogens, which are infected. Obviously, allergens are things that we're allergic to, and pathogens are things like bacteria or viruses. So what we commonly see is, say, someone who has mild eczema, an impaired skin barrier, but isn't so diligent with moisturizing their skin because it does take them a little bit more time and they get a little bit sick of it and they've had it their whole life. But what happens as a result of this chronically impaired skin barrier is that you actually leave them open to developing an allergy to one of the products that they're using, for example, a shampoo or conditioner. So we, I really like to use very basic hydrating shampoos and conditioners that are fragrance-free and you know, hypoallergenic. But because they're kind of, you know, used to using other products and they've got a dry scalp and they've got a dry skin in general, they're actually sensitized to various allergens, uh, fragrances, uh, a common one, preservatives are another. So you actually develop what we call an allergic 
contact dermatitis on top of your pre-existing eczema. So it becomes multi-layered and multifactorial. So I see that commonly, I would say, most days of my clinical practice where, you know, a patient will present with one problem due to dry skin and their genetics, but through time and lack of good hydration, lack of appropriate therapy, they actually develop a second or a third problem on top of it. And then it's hard to tease out, well, what's causing what? And it does require specialist examination and thought and testing to, to work this out. So that's something I do see. And, and I've had a number of patients with that problem. So I think the principle is that you have to have the basic foundation of good skincare to help not only rehydrate the skin and protect the skin against future problems, but also to ensure that your current therapy is working properly. Yeah, really good point. And it sounds like quite often in your practice, you need to be a bit of a detective to yeah. determine the root cause rather than yeah. just treat, you know, giving a Band-Aid effect. That's oh, could not be more accurate. I mean, it is about individualised medicine as well, because not everyone's going to be allergic to the same thing or have the same problems. It's about trying to delineate for that person in front of you, what is it about their skin? What is it about their skincare, their environment, their genetics, triggers that actually all contribute to their current presentation? So detective mm. work, exactly the right phrase. Yeah, so interesting. Now, just to throw in a little bit of a question that I see online a lot, maybe you could debunk this about the whole argument and question whether increasing your water intake will help to hydrate your skin. That's a really good one. And yes, the, it comes up quite frequently, doesn't it? Look, ultimately, adequate hydration is important. We know that there are lots of body systems, not only our skin, that require adequate water intake and dehydration in the general population is very common. The thing is that the human body is very good at trying its best to balance out the amount of hydration and where it goes. So we call this homeostasis. The, the body is naturally capable of taking water from our bloodstream and from where it needs to be to try to rebalance out the skin and other organs. So my take is this, if you are dehydrated and chronically dehydrated, then you are definitely going to see an impact in your skin. Mm. But there is absolutely no benefit in overhydrating yourself or overdrinking if you actually maintain a good level of hydration for the human body. You know, and, and we generally use the color of our urine as, a, as an indicator of this. So the clearer it is, the better, the darker, the yellow it is, the more dehydrated we are. So that's quite obvious. But if we're actually very relatively well hydrated and our skin is still dry, there's no point in drinking more because we're just simply not going to get more hydration. It really comes from the outside in. That's where the role of moisturizers, soap-free cleansers is actually very critical. So I hope that makes sense. But the truth is that I think a lot of people assume that they're not drinking enough and actually they may be, but it's not the whole story. Absolutely. Thank you for debunking that. Where can people find more about you and the work that you do, Dr. Cruz? So I'm based in a clinical southern dermatology in Murrumbina. We're just next to Chadston. Uh, you can jump online to southern-dermatology.com.au. We also have a, an Instagram page and I've got my own Instagram. So I do receive sort of DMs from various patients and people who are interested. Uh, so yeah, online would be the best place. But I think it's really important to, as what you're doing, which is just about educating patients and getting the message out there, not only about what we should be doing, what the signs that we should look for, but also the, the various types of products that can assist without breaking our mm. budget. And it's so wonderful to be able to have this evidence-based information from specialists such as yourself. So thank you so much. Thanks very much. Bye, Marnie. Thank you.
For listeners that are tuning in before the end of July 2022, Dermal Therapy are currently running a 25% off the Winter Essentials range, which also includes the Very Dry Skin Condition range, which we covered in this special series. This six-part special series podcast was made possible by our partners, Dermal Therapy. Thank you so much, Dermotherapy. We could not have made the series without you. One of the key benefits of Dermotherapy that we love, besides, of course, its clinically proven results, is accessibility. You can pick up their products most places. The Dermotherapy products are available nationwide across pharmacy, so Chemist Warehouse and all other major and independents, plus Woolies, and a select range at Coles. Amazon is now stocking the full range online as well, so you can jump online and purchase or visit them in store. If you'd like to learn more, go to dermotherapy.com.au. What an episode. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording and creating this for you. There was lots of fantastic tips shared and we would love for you to share this online so you can take a screenshot of you listening, tag us at dermhealth.co. Also make sure you tag our partners at Dermal Therapy. And we just want to say a big special thanks to our partners, Dermal Therapy, um, for Digital Health Co. for producing this podcast series. And we look forward to bringing you another episode really soon. Bye for now and be skin powered.